All right. Well, before we jump in this morning, I wanted to give you a quick update. A couple weeks ago, uh, together in service, we prayed over uh, Kevin and Megan Cluckhone. Kevin is our tech director and uh, his wife, Megan. They have a little girl named Kinsley. And um, I guess going back maybe five, six weeks now, uh, she was diagnosed with a form of liver cancer. And, uh, and so she just on, I think, I think my batteries are going out, maybe. I mean, I got to put my glasses on to see the battery meter. Gosh, darn it. That is frustrating. Nope, it was just a signal thing. So I don't know why that happened. Um, so just on Thursday, she started her second round of chemo. Uh, and, um, and so it's, in, it's full-blown into the treatment now and head shaved and the whole deal. Uh, and so she's got at least another round um, before they go in and try to uh, remove the mass on her liver. And so please continue to pray for them. Um, they are uh, amazing folks. And obviously that is an incredible, uh, challenging journey to be on. And um, we just love them to death. So please uh, join me and continue to pray for their family. So uh, last week, as you just saw in the bumper there, we started uh, this series where we're talking about the, the growing number of people in our country who are walking away from Christianity. People who've experienced church on some level, but have decided, no thanks, I'm just not interested. And, and this, this series is really, really important to me because honestly, so much of the time, it's people like me, it's people who do what I do, it's our fault, it's the church's fault that so many people have found Christianity to be such a turnoff. Because there, there's a lot of people who fall into the category where they believe in God, or at least they want to believe in God, but it feels really, really complicated at times. And, and so if you're one of those people, I, I know that you, you can feel kind of stuck in the middle sometimes between what you believe and what you feel and, and, and struggling to kind of come to terms with where you land with it all. It was Pascal that, wrote, that once wrote about his own faith, that he had seen too much to deny, but too little to be sure, right? Which is such a great way to sort of describe the tension that a lot of us live with, right? And maybe you know exactly what he's talking about. The, the problem is that when you layer on all the religious stuff over the top of that belief, over the top of that faith, it, it actually doesn't make it better. Most of the time it makes it worse. And so before you know it, the faith that you once had or the faith that you were hoping to have gets kind of buried under a mountain of experiences and religious stuff and baggage. And you find yourself struggling to kind of make sense of what is it, what is it that I'm actually doing? What is it that this is all about? What is it that I actually believe? And, and you start wondering if, if it's even worth it, right? And, and then one day you just sort of wake up and realize like, I'm just not that interested. It's just too much. Now, obviously there are all kinds of reasons that people sort of migrate away from Christianity or migrate away from faith, uh, but many of us are struggling with some of the same types of reasons. And so in this series, obviously we can't you know, dive into everyone, but we're gonna try to tackle a few of the big ones. And I want to just say right off the bat, like if that's you, like if you're, if you're secretly or maybe not so secretly thinking about walking away from church or faith or God or all of it, um, I, I want you to know like this, you are exactly who this series is for. Because I, I think if we sat down and, and I heard your story and I heard your experiences that I'd probably feel the exact same way that you do. But my hope is that in this series that, that I can somehow try to convince you that it doesn't have to be that way. I, I can convince you that the version of Christianity that you walked away from is just that. It's, 
It's just a version. It's somebody's version of it. It, it, Not necessarily God and that there's more to it and there's more to him and there's a place for you in God's family, in God's kingdom, and here at South Hills. If you weren't here last week, um, I, I want to encourage you to go back and check out the podcast. We talked a lot about the Bible last week. Uh, and, and so I just want to invite you to kind of start there and, and hopefully uh, you share it with some folks. I got a ton of texts this week of people sharing the podcast with somebody that they know. And, uh, and, and it's having um, lots of people having a lot of great conversations around it. So uh, please feel free to share it. And by the way, uh, if you're in the room and you're somebody that you, you, you have a hard time relating to this conversation at all, um, let me tell you why you should care. Because there's a good chance that there's somebody that you're close to, somebody that you care about, and this is their experience. This is where their struggle is. This is what they're feeling. This is what they're debating, especially if you have kids or grandkids. In fact, if you look at the percentage of people who are leaving Christianity, it's, it's growing across every demographic, every age group, but it is massive, massively accelerating among younger generations. Young people are leaving Christianity in droves. So this is a really, really huge deal. It's a really huge conversation. And so while you might be tempted to sort of check out because you can't relate or because, you know, I say some things that might make you uncomfortable, I just wanna encourage you to lean in because there's people that you love or care about that this is right in the middle of where their experience with God and church and faith is happening. So um, I'm not sure how much of it has actually stuck over the years, but I've spent a good chunk of the time the last 15 or 16 years of my life studying and kind of learning and trying to grow in my own personal leadership, specifically in organizational leadership. And one of the phrases that gets thrown, thrown around a lot in those conversations is the phrase that never be the smartest person in the room. Anybody, anybody ever heard that? Anybody know that phrase, right? For some of us, it's, it's, it's a little easier, right? We don't have to try that hard, right? There's always someone smarter in the room. I know I felt like that a lot in my life. Like I've been in pretty much every room I'm in. There's, I, just, I don't have to try. Maybe for you though, you know, like you're sort of this closet rocket scientist or something, you know, you're just closet genius uh, and you got to work a little harder to curate a room, you know, where you're not the smartest person in the room. But, but, but I, I, I think that, that advice is pretty good advice, especially if you have a problem that you can't solve, right? Or, or a question that you can't answer. But, but I wonder if you've ever been in a room where you had a question that you were afraid to ask, right? That, that you just didn't feel comfortable speaking up for whatever reason. When I was, uh, we, we lived in the Bay Area in, in, of California in Petaluma for a while and I was on staff at a church and the senior pastor that I worked with uh, was a great guy. We were really close and we had just a fantastic time for almost four solid years that I worked for him. And, and uh, his name was Bill and I'd always go into his office and I'd be like, hey pastor, um, I have kind of a dumb question or a stupid question. And he would always stop me and go, Randy, there are no stupid questions, only stupid people who ask questions, but go ahead. <laughs> Every time, and I felt like every time, I walked into it every time. But, but have you ever had a question where you were completely serious, but when you asked it, everybody laughed, right? That's always fun, right? Or, or maybe it was the opposite, where you asked a question or, or you voiced an idea and people didn't laugh, but instead it was like somebody came in and sort of sucked all the joy out of the room, right? Or things got really 
tense and awkward. And you could just like cut the, you know, the, the atmosphere with a knife. And everybody kind of seemed annoyed or irritated by your ignorance. And how dare you? Or how could you? Or why don't you know? Well, for a lot of people, that's the experience that they've had in church. So I recently read a survey, uh, and I've been reading a ton of stuff about some of this stuff and read a bunch of books and reading stuff. And in and, and one of the books, they talked about how they, um, they did all these surveys. They surveyed all these people who are Christians, thousands of tens of thousands of Christians. And, and one of the interesting takes, takeaways is that they found that the majority of Christians, the majority of Christians said that they are, quote, very convinced that they're right about most things in life. And I don't know if that's really funny or really sad or both. Because if you think about it for a second, like how excited would you be to listen to somebody who thinks that they're always right about everything, right? And they're not really interested in your thoughts or your questions or your experiences that led you to think the way that you think, right? No, no wonder more and more people are arriving at the conclusion that I'm just not that interested. Honestly, that person that is a know-it-all, that has the life figured out, that is really good at giving you advice and they got all the answers for your problems, if you would just listen to them, like that person kind of sounds like a jerk, right? We all steer, still, still steer clear of those people. But that is how most outsiders see us, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are followers of Jesus. I, I've been reading stories of people who have, walked away from their faith and deconverted from Christianity. And this conversation is a huge recurring theme in a lot of those stories. That, that those who think differently or maybe don't fit the mold, whatever that mold is, that people with doubts or who ask questions or at least have the wrong doubts and ask the wrong questions, that they're judged or they're labeled as troublemakers or heretics and kind of ostracized and sort of alienated, pushed out, rejected, pushed into the corner. And, and that's tragic on its face, right? Not only because of who Jesus was, but because we all have our own paths that we walk that ultimately lead us to him. See, some of us take leaps of faith. Others of us go there kicking and screaming, right? We're, we're the people who dig and explore, we're the people that ask questions. We're the people that are like, mm, I'm gonna need you to like explain that. We doubt out loud, right? We don't take things on blind faith. We wanna understand. And so often the people who are wired like that, who are at that place in their life, they do the logical thing. They take their questions and their doubts to church, to people who do believe. Only most of the time or a lot of the times it just doesn't go so well. We ask grown-up questions, but get Sunday school answers. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? Or, or there's other times where we're ignored or just kind of told to be quiet. And, and maybe you've had that experience where you spoke up, but the response was like, oh, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. If you know, you know, right? You're going to have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Only it wasn't Bruno, right? It, it was doubt or fear or science or suffering or whether or not the Bible is true or if Jesus was who he claimed to be. And, and it wasn't just that you got shot down in that question. Sometimes it's beyond that, right? Sometimes it's reprimanded, it's ridiculed, it's labeled. It's just like, mm, they're not one of us. 
And forget the real answer, right? You're just handed the right answer. This is what you should think about that. And it's made clear that you just need to be quiet and fall in line. Stop asking that question. Doesn't it seem like, and it's often those with the most belief who are least tolerant of those who lack belief. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, but wait, I mean, aren't we, aren't we just kind of following the Bible? I mean, James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, think answers, right? If, any, if you lack answers, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to think, if you lack wisdom, if you lack the answers, you should ask God. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because they are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And that was James. He was the half-brother of Jesus, the son of God. He wrote that. He should know, right? And wasn't it Jesus? I mean, didn't Jesus himself regularly call out people for doubting and not having enough faith? What about that? But, but I, I hope that you'll see today that that's not always exactly the point that Jesus was trying to make every time he was having those conversations. And so what ends up happening in settings like this is, is people end up feeling like, well, if, I mean, if Christianity isn't the place that I can go with my struggles and my doubts about God and faith, well, then where, where do I go? What, what good is it if I can't bring that there? I guess it's just not for me. I've tried it. I'm not interested. Now, the heartbreaking truth in all of this is our deepest questions don't disappear just because we stop voicing them. In fact, they tend to get louder, right? The, the harder you sort of ignore it or push it off, or you've just decided, I don't need to answer that question because there is no God. Yeah, just try that and see if it just doesn't get louder in your soul. But, but I, I think if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a church person, if you're a Christian, we gotta be honest, like Christianity doesn't exactly have a great track record here, right? I mean, it's horrifying, but our history is full of people who were shunned and banned and hunted and prosecuted and persecuted and tortured and killed for questioning the authority or the orthodoxy of the day, which really makes sense when you think about it because of all the times that Jesus did that, right? Like, no, of course not. Right, and that's the crazy thing is that Jesus never tortured anybody or killed anybody or ruined their life or shunned them, including people, not only that questioned him, but people that disagreed with him, people that he knew were betraying him. But the same can't be said of the religion that claims to follow him. And I know it's like, well, that's history. That's ancient history. And some of that's true, right? But the, the truth in our culture is while there may not be angry mobs roaming around and sort of dragging people into the streets and beating and shaming them for expressing the wrong sort of opinions or doubts or questions or asking the wrong questions about God, there certainly are angry mobs patrolling the internet ready to shame and cancel and block people for reading the wrong books or listening to the wrong podcasts or expressing the wrong thoughts or opinions or questions or doubts about God. At times, it feels like in Christianity, like that knowing is more important than learning. That, that certainty is more important than faith. That being right is more important than doing good. And even when people aren't mistreated, 
for their doubts and questions. So often we unintentionally, unintentionally alienate people when we pretend that we know more than we do, when we're not open and honest about our own uncertainty and our own frustrations and our own doubt, when we just sort of smile and go along in blind faith. Now, if you've ever felt any of that, I just want you to know that God isn't afraid of or threatened by or annoyed with or angry over any of your questions. Sometimes Christians are, we're guilty of acting like we have to treat God with kid gloves, right? With white gloves. Like he, he's just porcelain. Just don't, don't breathe too hard. He might, he might break, right? Or, or he's got a really fragile ego, guys. It's a super, we don't wanna, you don't wanna offend him. Don't ask the wrong question. But, but what I want you to hear is like, look, God exists outside of time and space. He spoke and made the universe, Right, his breath, David describes his breath as his breath, when he breathes, he can breathe new stars into life, right? He, he sacrificed his own son on a cross for you and me. I, I think he can handle your questions and your fears and your doubts. In, in fact, he wants you not only to have the courage to ask your questions, but then to follow those questions and follow the answers wherever they lead, so they lead you to the truth. In fact, Jesus declared that's one, of, that's one of the primary functions of God's spirit, his presence in our lives, is that he leads us to the truth, to himself. When you read the story of Jesus, it seems like he has this endless number of conversations and encounters with people who struggled with who he was and who questioned and doubted and pushed back and betrayed him and disagreed with him. And, and I mean, it's just one right after the other including people that followed him, that were close to him, that were part of his disciples. And there, there's a story between him and a guy named John the Baptist who wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, but actually came before Jesus and sort of God sent him to prepare the way to get things ready. John was kind of the bulldozer just barreling down the road, right? Just sort of clearing a path. Um, but there's this incredible exchange that, Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 11 that I want to take you to this morning. It begins in verse two. It says this, it says John the Baptist who was in prison heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, blessed are those who do not fall away because of or on account of me. So here, here's a little of, of the backstory. Um, the guy that sort of in charge of this particular area of Israel um, was... Herod and King Herod was installed by the Roman Empire to sort of keep rule, keep law, keep things tamped down, keep things orderly. And so he was in charge of this area. And King Herod decided that he liked his brother's wife a lot more than his own. And so he divorced his wife and married his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist decided that he couldn't let that slide and publicly called him out on it. So John the Baptist was like, I mean, it's like Clint Eastwood or and that is a dated reference. That man is 90 years old. 
Who would he be today? Oh, I was asking these guys earlier. He would be, he'd be like Jason Statham. Anybody know who that is? He's like, always takes his shirt off. Okay, he's The Rock. Let's just go with The Rock. Everybody know who The Rock is. Okay, there. Oh, yeah, The Wrestler. Yeah, that's, that's who it is. But John, John decided he couldn't let it go, so he called Herod out publicly. And so Herod responded by throwing him in prison indefinitely. You don't get a trial. You don't, you just, you're going to prison, buddy. And so John is sitting in prison, sort of rotting away, realizing that he's probably going to die. And he hears about all of the amazing things that Jesus is out there doing. And so in a dark moment, he sends his disciples with a question for Jesus. And it's not just any question. It's really the question, right? It's the biggest question you can ask of Jesus. Are you the one? Are you God? Are you the Messiah? Or should we just keep looking? Are you just another run-of-the-mill rabbi who has some cool tricks? See, when it comes to God, we, we've, we've all got things we're not sure about. Some of them are philosophical and some of them are situational, but our, our biggest spiritual questions, aren't, they aren't theoretical. They're deeply personal. And, and that's where John was. John, because John knew who Jesus was. John had baptized Jesus. John had seen miracles. He'd heard teachings. One day, shortly after he had baptized Jesus, John was telling everybody, hey, this guy's the one. And then one day he's out there and Jesus comes walking by and John points to him and he tells everybody that's with him, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one. But now his brain and his soul are at war. Isn't it troubling when your soul demands what your brain dismisses, right? When, you, when your brain wants to walk away, when your brain's like, I just need to put this, I need to be done with this stuff. I need to put all this God stuff behind me, but your soul just won't let you do it. And so in the face of his own death, John doubts because he's human and that's what people do, even prophets. Now, I don't want to hurry through this part and skip to Jesus' answer and skip to where this all kind of is heading because this is so important. See, I think a lot of us have been in faith so long that we don't remember what it's like to search and to question and to wrestle with God. We've forgotten that before you can find God in the answers, you got to find him in the questions. I mean, even the name of God's people, Israel, in the scriptures, right? It means one who searches, who struggles, who wrestles with God. And and so when you begin to read the scriptures, what you see is that the people that God identifies himself most closely with, they aren't those with the strongest beliefs. They aren't those with the highest degree of certainty. It's not the people who have it all figured out and know all the answers. It's the people who struggle and wrestle with him and with their own faith. The people who refuse to let go of him even when their soul is plagued with questions and doubt. By the way, isn't it interesting that when people hurt us, when people do us wrong, that those are the experiences that they don't make us stop believing in people, but often they're the very reasons or the very experiences that we stop believing in God. See, more often than not, when you hear people's stories of people who stopped believing, who rejected Christianity because Christians make the best atheists. They, we just do. Most of the time, the story is all about everything human beings did 
to that person that made them stop believing in God. This is, I went to church and this is the way I was treated or this person and this person betrayed me and this person said this and this is what was done to me. It's not something God did to them. It's something other people did to them. But it's not really unique, right? I mean, think about John's situation. Everything John is, that's happening to John, everything he's going through was being done to him by human beings. He was falsely imprisoned. He held without trial. He's facing execution all at the hands of people. He would eventually end up losing his life on the whim of somebody at a party. And yet his questions and doubts, they weren't about people, but about God. And it's really no different with us. And so I wanted to pause here for a moment. And and if you would allow me to, like if you're somebody who's been hurt or gossiped about or judged or marginalized or manipulated or shunned by a pastor or a church or a church leader, by people who were supposed to be, speak for and represent Jesus, if you would allow me to kind of step into the place of that person for a moment, step into the place of those people for a moment and just apologize to you. I am so genuinely, deeply sorry about what was done to you, about what happened to you, what was said to you. It was wrong. Please forgive us. Don't let our actions keep you from his love. Because humans are the ones that betray and hurt and condemn, not God. Don't let what was done to you by people Poison your faith, your trust, your connection, your relationship with God. It's also really interesting to me that nobody's ever lost faith in God because of the bad that they've done. I've never met a single person that was like, I can't believe in God. Really, why? Because I'm so bad. I betrayed people and I was mean to people. I, the things I've done are proof that there is no God. Nobody's ever said that. I can't, I, there's not a single conversation. You won't find it on the internet. It's only what other people do, right? That, those are the things that you're proof that there is no God, but what I've done is not proof there is no God. The, the tragic irony of people being shunned or shamed for doubting or questioning is that faith isn't supposed to It isn't opposed to those things, right? They're necessary for faith. Faith and doubt aren't in opposition with one another. In fact, you cannot have faith without doubt. The opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's fear. There are so many moments in the scriptures where people were like, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. That is a declaration of faith that I'm struggling to get there, but I know you're the one who can help me get there. And that is why I think, you know, the way that Jesus answered John's question, I think this is the way, why he gave the answer that he did. Because his answer is basically like, John, you're asking the wrong question. That's not the question. 
See, I know you're asking, am I the one? But that's not the, that's not the, that's, that's not the question you need to answer. Because there, there's more going on than you can see that you know. And so he rattles off a pretty amazing list, right? He's like, go tell them. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised alive, the good news is being preached to a poor. I mean, that's a pretty good answer for like, are you God? Well, let me see. Let me just tell you, I've, you know, deaf people, former deaf people can hear. This dude was formerly dead. Now he's alive. Like you just start going down the list. That's a pretty good comeback. But, but I think he tells John all these things, not, not as a demonstration of his power, but really as a declaration of his love, of, of his intention towards humanity. Because that's really what John was questioning, right? Do you care about me? Do you care about what's happening to me? And Jesus rattles off all of these things, not so he can say, look at how awesome I am, John. But he, so he can go, look, I know you don't understand, but you don't have to question what my intentions are for humanity because I find the people on the margins and I'm bringing them close. I'm finding people who are broken and I'm bringing them healing. I'm finding people who are lost and I'm bringing them back. He's going, John, you may not always understand what I'm doing, but you can always, always, always trust my intentions. See, if you're here this morning and you've ever struggled with faith, here's what you can know. That even when you cannot make sense of God's activity, you really can trust his intentions towards you. Because Jesus came to love and to serve and to give his life for you. He didn't come to win an argument. He didn't come so we'd know, oh, he's the most right. See, I, I think the church is at its best when it provides a loving, stable, secure space for people to come and wrestle through their doubt and their fears. And that space is one day that will be filled with faith. But here's the thing. In my experience, I've found that it's really hard to love people when you're trying to prove to them how wrong they are and how right you are. Right? It's really hard for them to feel loved by you when you're just like, look, you're wrong, but I love you. And I'm telling you, I love you. I'm telling you you're wrong because I love you. I'm also telling you I'm right because I love you. Try that with your spouse. So Romans chapter 14, verse one says this, accept accept others who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. That's pretty straightforward, right? Accept people who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And the context is this. I told you last week, never just read a verse. And so I'm just, I just read one verse, but I'm going to give you the context, right? The context is he starts talking about there's these people in, in the church who were arguing over food and what you could eat and not eat and what made you holy and not holy. If you ate the wrong things, when that's clearly you don't know anything about God because you ate that food. And he's going, and he starts parsing out the arguments, but ultimately he comes to this place. He's like, look, stop arguing with people about what's right or wrong. And don't we do the opposite, right? In our culture right now, especially today, people are ready to fight and argue about anything, which I thought was kind of dumb until I read the context of this and they're fighting over food. And I'm like, all right, I mean, you're fighting over food. It's all delicious, you guys. Eat it all. 
But people will argue in our culture about anything, right? And, and, and we as Christians, so many people I know have been just swept up in that, right? And, and we're just ready to go at the moment's notice. We're ready to stand up and fight and defend, you know, all of that stuff. And we just get swept up into arguments with people. I think if we were honest, we'd have to admit that it feels right? like if, if it feels like if we're being forced to choose between being right and being loving, well, we've made our choice and it ain't love. In fact, I hear people all the time trying to make the case that proving that we're right is the way that we show love. That's nothing new. I mean, Jesus dealt with religious people all the time who used being right to avoid being loving and doing good because that's what religion does. I'm right, so I don't have to do the good thing because you should see how right I am. Most of us spend our lives moving away from all of the people that Jesus spent his life moving toward. So I wonder for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, who is it that you've allowed yourself to sort of argue with at a, as a, at a distance. It may not be a person, but what group of people? What do they identify themselves at? Is there an R next to their name or a D? Do they think something about some politician? Do they think something about the way certain people are attracted to other people? For or against? Who are the people that you've allowed yourself to just sort of argue with at a distance instead of stepping into a relationship with that person and learning to love them up close. Because when you actually get up next to somebody, it changes the game. Right? It, it doesn't mean that truth changes. It doesn't mean how you feel changes, but it will change your approach. See, just like the original 12, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be disciples, students, learners, followers of him. And, and it's hard for us to admit, but we don't, we don't want to be students. We want to be teachers. We, we don't want to be followers. We want to be leaders. I'm an American man. I'm a leader. We don't want to ask questions. We want to have all the answers. But, but Christianity isn't about having all the right answers and checking all the right boxes. It's about humbly living and loving like Jesus. It it means making room for other people's doubts and wrestling with your faith, not theirs. Here, let me help you wrestle through your faith. No, no, no. You just wrestle with your own faith, your own questions. It doesn't mean that we don't care about truth. That's, That's ludicrous. It doesn't mean that we don't care about doctrine and theology, that those things don't matter. They do. They're incredibly important. In fact, this is part of the conversation why the scriptures are so incredibly important. Because if we're just left to our own devices, we'll come up with all kinds of weird answers for the questions that we have about God. But the scriptures help us keep from getting off into places we shouldn't get off into. But people are God's highest priority and they should be ours too. Jesus is the safest place for us to bring our doubts and questions and concerns. And if we're supposed to be like him, we should be the safest place for other people to bring their deepest questions and concerns and doubts. So as John's disciples were leaving to go back to tell him what Jesus said, Matthew tells us that Jesus isn't done answering the question. He begins talking to the crowd that's there 
about John. And the implication is that he wanted John's disciples as they're leaving to hear what he's saying and to share that with John as well. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 7. He said, what, do you go out, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes, they're in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Now, I think this matters because I think part of what Jesus is saying is, look, John, you weren't exactly what other people were expecting either. And a lot of people missed what God wanted to do in their life. A lot of people missed the power and the truth and the reality of what you were saying because they couldn't get past how it was packaged up in you. And that wasn't your problem. That was their problem. He's going, I understand that I don't always make sense to you. And God, the way the Messiah has come, it may not always be in the package the way that you think it's going to be. I'm maybe not what you expected, but if you will bring all of your questions and all of your struggles and all of your doubts to me, you will find what your soul's been searching for. And then Jesus says this very sort of Jesus-y sort of proverby thing where he says, wisdom is proved right by her actions. It's almost kind of a Yoda line, like proved right by her actions, wisdom is. Now you just heard it in Yoda's voice and I didn't even have to try to do it. But listen, this is all really, let me tell you why this is all really, really amazing if you're someone with lots of deep, long-lasting questions and doubts. Because Jesus wasn't really just talking to John, right? Jesus makes the same invitation to you and me for us to bring all of our biggest questions and our deepest doubts to him. I mean, the big guns, don't hold anything back, bring it to him. And even when the answers don't make sense to us, he's going, you can can trust my intentions and my love for you because they've been proven by my actions, that wisdom, that the truth about who I am will be proved out by the things that I've done. I've proven myself to you and I will prove myself to you in ways that you can't imagine and you will not be able to deny. Finally, I, I, think, I think part of this also means that some of, us, some of us need to question a little more. I think some of us need to wrestle a little more with our faith because we got lost in the answers a long time ago. And our faith has been reduced to formulas and routines. And if we were honest, there's not a lot of life there. Maybe you're one of those people who's convinced, you're one of those Christians that you're convinced that you're right about most things in life and with God. The challenge with that is if you feel that way, you will have very little curiosity in your life. You will do very little searching. You'll be open to very little conversation with anybody else who thinks differently or sees differently than you. So if you've walked away because you have questions or doubts or struggles that you can't seem to get resolved, I want to invite you back. Because your thoughts and your feelings, your ideas, your questions 
They may have been too much for some people or some Christians or some religious environment, but they're not too much. They're not too big for the God who loves you. Would you pray with me?